Welcome back to Screen Time. I'm Rokan. And I'm Roper. Richard Roper. Oh, I see <laughs> what you did right there. Uh, because we're going to talk about the new Bond film, which you have seen. I have not. And we're going to discuss it for the first time right here. I don't know what you think about it. I don't know much about the reaction to it yet. Because at this recording, only a few reviewers in the country have seen it. So we're going to find out what that means coming up in just a moment. But I'm a gigantic Bond fan. I want to see it with a real audience when it debuts this upcoming weekend. I want to be there when you, that first musical stab hits and that uh, that that eye thing opens up, yep. right? And then the James Bond does the pivot and shoots you. Yes! Oh, I cannot wait! <laughs> Anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, but we also have breaking cultural news yes. that we have to get to. But first, I must tell you that this podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com. The digital landscape changes rapidly. And to compete in today's business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing that drives your overall business success because they believe today's online world is your opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. So the internet went down. <laughs> I thought everybody unfriended me all at once today. Now, well, just in uh, full disclosure here for our fine uh, listeners to the Screen Time podcast, uh, as we're doing this recording, it's uh, Monday evening. It's uh, October, what day is it? Uh, one, uh, fourth, I believe. Two, three, fourth. Yeah. Uh, and this will be uh, running, of course, uh, later this week. Actually, probably just a few hours. That's how we do it. We record it, and then we put it out there, hopefully, mm -hmm. unless podcasts down, whatever that would be. That would be right. 75 different platforms. But um, all day today, Monday, there was uh, you know, a lot of news about Facebook. And of course, then that would also include Instagram and WhatsApp all being out. Uh, Twitter, actually, the official Twitter account said, welcome, everyone. <laughs> Friends new and old. And we don't know all the details yet, Ro. Uh, but it, it appears to be back up, at least at the time of this recording. I personally posted a picture of the prime suspect, uh, Tom from MySpace. I, I put his profile <laughs> picture back up. Uh, so there are a lot of kind of people having fun yeah. with it. But And then I, I did see a lot of people saying, this is your chance to convince your parents to get the vaccination because they won't be getting a bunch of misinformation on Facebook. You know? <laughs> That's really true. That's really true. Mom, I'll take you to Walgreens. <laughs> I didn't know. I got to tell you, I I enjoyed this immensely because uh, as longtime followers of mine on social media know, I don't do a lot of activity on the social media. I was always a broadcast guy, and I figured if you want to know what's going on in my life or I want to know what's going on in yours, we'd find out about it on the radio. But I get, I have, I have friends and family, very dear friends. Some of my best friends are on Facebook. And, I, and to, for the life of me, I can't understand the constant fascination with that because it's changed the way our brains work. It's changed the way that we behave mm -hmm. as humans and as consumers and as family members. That's the craziest part. And that's the thing that offends me most about it. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not like, oh, I'm totally opposed to all this stuff. I actually really much enjoy Twitter and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the other like TikTok and things like that are a lot of fun. But I, I mean, that's all they should be, right? Well, with it, the weird thing for me is, is someone that has embraced this stuff going all the way back 
to MySpace and, uh, you know, using Twitter and uh, other social media. I've always found Facebook to be, for me, kind of clunky and difficult to maneuver. Part of the problem for me is that I have a private account and a public account. And once you do that, you cannot combine the two on Facebook. So I have fans or friends and followers, and I have to do things twice because it doesn't automatically switch over. So I'm with you. I, I'll go weeks sometimes without really checking out Facebook. I like Instagram because Instagram, first of all, feels to me like it's, and of course you can block people on Facebook as well, but Facebook feels very public. Instagram feels in its own wide-ranging way more intimate, and mm -hmm. it's photos and videos, and that's the thing. So even public figures, that's where you'll see they'll post photos of their vacations or their, or their children or their beloved parents, things like that. Uh, the one thing that, you know, in, amidst all the kind of the humor today, Ro, is that, you know, the WhatsApp as a communications device is used by millions of people, and it's a way for people to connect internationally, kind of a basically a way to text without the charges of texting. Uh -huh. So for some people, it actually did impact their lives, and a lot of businesses use uh, the Messenger and the WhatsApp. They said that Mark Zuckerberg's uh, net worth fell by like $10 billion today. I'm sure. And I'm like, when people are saying that, I'm like, well, you realize that'd be as if you posted, I dropped a quarter and it fell down the drain. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, we got him. Yeah. Now nah, nah, you did. It's almost the type of stuff when you talk about WhatsApp and Signal, it's kind of the high tech, cyber intelligent type stuff that you might find in a Bond movie. Oh, nicely transitioned. Okay, well, I'm ready for the moment. Please tell me is it great? No Time to Die, the fifth and final Daniel Craig movie as James Bond, which, of course, was delayed several times uh, due to pandemic concerns. They really wanted to make this a theatrical release row. I will say this. I, I'm giving it three stars out of four. Um, it is a fitting send-off to Daniel Craig and this particular James Bond. It is, of course, as you know, and you and I are going to talk about your lifelong uh love for the Bond franchise in the second segment uh, on today's podcast. As always, you know, yes, they do stuff at Pinewood Studios and yes, they're CGI, but they also, you can see the budget of the Bond movies on the screen, right? The location right, sure. shooting. When they say they're in Norway, they're not in Colorado, even though that could work, you know, they're, or yeah. against the green screen. They're in Norway, obviously in Great Britain. Uh, when they go to Jamaica, it's Jamaica. There's this island between, uh, you know, off the coast of Japan. All these amazing location shots, right. and, and and of course they they always make the world look so beautiful, but then also so uh, intimidating and intimidating and harrowing and threatening because that's what Bond's going through. So I'm going right. to walk you through just a little okay. bit of this row. I'm very interested. Uh, so James Bond in No Time to Die. We're picking up after the events of the most recent uh, Bond film, which is I believe Spectre five years ago mm -hmm. so bond is with madeline swan that was his love interest from the previous movie they are together now and they're living yeah. in italy and having this beautiful life but he's still mourning vesper who was the, his lost love all the way going back to casino royale well, yes. she just happens to be buried in italy so he goes to her grave to pay respects and get closure at the urging of Madeline Swan. And this is not a huge spoiler alert. Something horrible happens that make him makes Bond feel as if maybe Madeline 
has betrayed him or can't be trusted. Uh-oh. And there we go. Just when he thought he was out, they pull him back in. Right. Bond now goes off the grid. He tells Madeline he'll never see her again. He doesn't he doesn't want to get involved anymore. He's he's had it with um with his parent group. What are they called? The uh MI MI6. MI6, not the Impossible Mission Force, of course. <laughs> the MI6. They've moved on. Or the MI5. I you know it's it, 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 it moves it around. Yeah. So <laughs> so the, in, as far as they're concerned, he's either dead or retired. They don't care yeah. anymore. They've moved on. But his old friend Felix, the CIA operative, played mm-hmm. by Jeffrey Wright, tracks him down as he's living the beautiful loner life, fishing on an island by himself, and says, we need your help. It's the obligatory megalomaniacal, mm-hmm. uh, ruthless uh, leader who wants to you know, destroy and then control the world, and only Bond can help. And there we go off on our adventure. Next thing you know, uh, we have the return of Christoph Waltz, Mm-hmm. We have Rami Malek as the new villain, and he, of course, has this you know control or is trying to get control over this kind of bio weapon that almost has a COVID-like strain to it, even though this was filmed before that. Which that is very a, interesting. A virus that can get yeah. transmitted, and then you get the introduction of some new characters, including uh, Ana de Armas, who plays Paloma, and she's a CIA operative down there in Cuba. And Bond goes down there, and there's like a convention of Spectre agents in there. And she, this kind of interesting role. What I like about this scene is that the character of Paloma, played by uh, the gorgeous and very talented Ana de Armas, when she meets Bond, she's got this black dress that slipped to there and slid up to there and mm-hmm. slipped down to there. And she says they're going to infiltrate this, you know, this event. And she, you know, she hands Bond a custom-made tuxedo that she just has ready for him. So she starts to take his uh, jacket and shirt off to get the tuxedo on him. He thinks she's making a move. And when he kind of makes a little move, she's like, we don't have time for this nonsense. What are you, nuts? <laughs> Which is kind of a nod to how Bond has evolved and the movie yeah. has, involved, has evolved, uh, the franchise has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into any more detail than that. It's a wide-ranging, sometimes convoluted plot. You do have the return of some uh, great characters, Naomi Harris, who's great as Money Penny, who's way more than just the secretary that watches him throw the hat anymore, right? Right. Rafe Fines as M., and you're never quite sure where his loyalties lie sometimes. Is it with oh. Her Majesty or with his old friend Bond? And Ben Wishaw, who is a great Q and kind of uh, adds a lot of humanity to that character. He still says, don't touch that, and things like that when he's demonstrating stuff. So kind of a, a wide-ranging, it's a, it's a great-looking film, and the cast is first rate. Uh, as you know, it's also the longest Bond film in terms of running time, two hours and 40 three minutes so what i say to you is before you have no time to die make time to pee <laughs> it's too- I, well, you know when you gave that to the studios as your cutout yeah quote, they didn't want that one i thought crazy, that that huh? was a bad idea and and i have not seen that in the commercials yet yeah, i expect yeah. to see it though over the weekend in the yeah. commercials. well i can't wait and we'll do follow-up at the end of the year when we do our, our roundup of all the movies but i can't wait to hear what you have to say about it i do feel as if it's just too long i mean we're getting into almost godfather running time there mm-hmm. and i think ro sometimes because this is such a, a a huge budget and because they did do these you know expansive extended huge sequences that they don't want to cut anything out because they feel like well we spent 14 million dollars on that sequence we can't just leave it on the cutting room floor that's 100 percent true we found that out in the Godfather special edition with the voice tracks that tell us what the producers are thinking during each scene. And we learned that 
about The Godfather, that they went back to New York and they had to reshoot the scene in Godfather 1 in which the Salazzo character gets murdered by Michael Corleone in the restaurant and they had to reshoot it to show the floor because they had actually spent money, Paramount Pictures had spent money mm. redoing the floor wow. and the director didn't show the floor. So they were like, well, we spent all this money redoing the floor in this actual restaurant in New York. Why aren't you showing it? So they go it's back incredible. and redo it. So that's absolutely true. People will often think, as viewers, as I do, when you're watching a movie, well, why the hell did they do that? Because they spent money on it. It's the same reason that football teams and basketball teams, they'll play guys they shouldn't play because they're the highest paid guys on the team, even when they suck, because you got to somehow say, well, we paid That's all this true. money, we got to actually use them for something. And that, unfortunately, has handicapped this particular franchise over and over and over again. Yeah. As much as I love it, I'm also a, a fan just emotionally, but I get it as a, you know, now as an adult and I look back on some of these things and you and I have worked in the entertainment industry for uh, the majority of our lives and we know how the business works in a lot of ways. And it's really, it's, you know, it's show business, not show friends yeah. or show art. It's show business and you need to, uh, you need to actually approve up the money that you spent. Now, I'm going to say this. Two hours and 43 minutes for a Bond wait, film. Wait, and you might as well make it 248 because there's credits. And actually, by the time you get there and there's previews and stuff, it's three hours of your time at least. At least. That doesn't feel long to Bond fans because mm. Bond fans have been watching Bond films for decades on television. So when you take a two-hour, two-hour ten movie, which the Bond films tend mm -hmm. to be, they mm -hmm. never come in under two hours. Okay. That is is going to be at least a three-hour sit-down no matter what. Sure. Right? You're going to have to just pick it up at any given time. And they seem to have been creeping a little bit longer and longer, they and longer over the they years. Yes. Uh, in, in, the, in the Daniel Craig era. Uh, it's interesting to me, and, and I, I'm always you know amazed by this, Ro, that this is actually a long, uh, dubious tradition in Hollywood where they start filming on a blockbuster movie without a completed script. And that's what happened here. And we know that that happened with Lawrence of Arabia, way back in the day and famously with Jaws as they were figuring it out as they went along and the first Iron Man where everybody involved said well we knew we had Robert Downey Jr. and he was Iron Man and we had <laughs> you know a certain amount of time and we're gonna we're gonna figure this out and, but uh, also famously in the Bond oeuvre mm -hmm. Quantum of Solace yep. because they did not have writers for that script because the writers guild went on strike right. during the film and they went in you know like some of these films do where they were having to make changes based on things that were happening at the locale or availability of the actors those are all factors that go into this which is why sometimes they go in open-ended because they know they have an idea they have an yeah, outline they of what do. they, they want to do they always have even curb your enthusiasm where they are deliberately improvising there are outlines it's not completely let's just see what happens uh, in the case with No Time to Die, it got further complicated uh, because Daniel Craig got injured at one point during the filming. So he was out for a while. Second time that's happened to him. Yes. Yeah, and that's the same thing that's happened to Tom Cruise and other stars on sets of films. And then right. all of a sudden they have to shoot around that. So they've talked about it. There's published reports saying that there are certain scenes that were shot with Ray Fiennes in his office as M, where they had him say all different sorts of lines, knowing that they'd be able to use them somehow. But even this great actor 
wasn't quite sure what he was talking about when he was saying like, and there was the, you know, it reminds me, it, it all circles back. Um, the, uh, the Office, the great sitcom. Yeah. Uh, Craig Robinson played Daryl, one of the warehouse workers, right? And, you know, on The Office, the conceit was there was a documentary being shot about Dunder Mifflin, you know, 10 years in the making. Mm-hmm. So there would be, you know, all these little interludes where the characters would be getting interviewed on camera. Steve Carell, as right. Michael Scott would, you know, comment. So there was a there was an episode where Craig Robinson as Daryl really was pressed for time. So he said, I'm just going to give you guys a bunch of lines. Oh, that person's really in a sticky situation. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And he just <laughs> gave them like generic lines. He goes, you could just sprinkle them in in the next couple episodes. So there you have it. Um, I do want to get a lot more from you. I, I want to say very yeah. quickly, too, this is for sure Daniel Craig's last film. I think he was a great James Bond the last uh, James Bond film. Yeah. Well, yeah, his yeah. last film. No, he's not, well, he's going to play he's going to play Macbeth and it's so funny cuz at a press conference someone said to him, "You're moving on, you're going to play Macbeth next on Broadway. How do you prepare for that?" And he said, "You learn the lines." Cuz Shakespeare, <laughs> you know, that is written. That that's not that's not a script right. you really, you know. It's true. I mean, you can update it to 10 things I hate about you or something or and that's not Macbeth. I know Shakespeareans out there. Uh, but I will say this, Lashana Lynch who plays the new 007. Uh-huh. She has the new designation is terrific. And there's a great dynamic there because when Bond kind of comes back, he actually gives a visitor's pass to come visit the headquarters, and she introduces herself, and she's like, "I'm not giving these numbers back to you if you decide to come back." And he, you know, he says, "Listen, they're just numbers; they don't mean anything to me." And she's sort of disarmed by that, so to speak, because she wants to be an adversary. And then they actually end up having this great relationship. I don't think she's going to be the next James Bond. I think she'll be in the next James Bond movie as Double O Seven as hmm. that agent, but. I don't know who the next James Bond will be. We'll talk about what that means as it pertains to the entire Bond history coming up. But first, let me tell you about our friends at Portillo's, the finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's, you know, not just hot dogs. You know, when it started in Chicago, people were like, oh, it's a hot dog shop. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We We got Italian beef? Wait. We got Italian sausage? Wait. You got chocolate cake? Oh man, it's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have, and I, I think I just said this a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too, because you know that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's gonna be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. Mm-hmm. And you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not gonna hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillo's.com. Find a store near you or order online, and you can get it anywhere in the United States of America, portillos.com. So you liked, but you did not love the Bond film. Correct. Uh, great photography, great cinematography, location. Production's always amazing. You know, the crews, the practical effects combined with the CGI. And, of course, this is a really, really first-rate cast. I do think it's too long. I think if they had cut this by maybe 20 minutes to a half hour, it would have been higher up in the Bond canon. Do you think they could? I mean, are there Absolutely. places you see that you'd like, ah, oh, they should have done that? 100%. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we just get to a point in the last 45 minutes or so where we've established who everybody is and what it's all about. 
And yes, the stakes have been raised for Bond emotionally, and I don't want to give too much away, but you know, is there a chance that he's actually really going to have a family? Can he commit to that? Can he get past all the dark things in his past? But I want to go back and ask you, Ro, mm-hmm. you know, because you are such a James Bond fan, and as we go through the canon of films, um, I think Daniel Craig ranks right there with Sean Connery, and they're of two different eras, so I refuse to say one's better than the other. Uh, Sean Connery, I I thought was perfect when they launched the Bond franchise way back in the early 60s. Well, he's the first one. He's everybody's imagination what Bond was. Mm. There was obviously, uh, or not obviously, but there was a, a British version of television Bonds oh. prior to the debut of Dr. No, which was the big screen one, which right. was you know, Cubby Broccoli and Albert Saltzman, who had produced those films together for a number of years. And that really changed the world of spy films. There's a whole Mm -hmm. argument about all of the movies that came up before Bond and made the way for Bond. North by Northwest is a movie that I always Mm -hmm. talk about and that it was a, it was, it was something that, (laughs) that Alfred Hitchcock knew, knew both the producers for the Bond films and had talked to them about this. They were going to, you know, do this international spy thriller. And that's one of the things that, that, Hitchcock had started to do. And Hitchcock it, it famously had said that he was interested in doing a Bond film over the years, but they didn't really kind of want to go down that road with him. Mm. So he started to do imitations of it. He had Paul Newman and he had other big stars do things that were sort of similar uh. to the Bond over after it started. I keep saying over and I don't know why I keep doing it. You have to say it because you were talking about international films. Anyway, <laughs> the point is that uh, it was... A logical leap to create this series. It's not the first of international spy films, but it certainly changed the stylistics around that kind of a movie. And it created, after the first couple of them, if you watch Dr. No, for example, mm-hmm. you don't have you know the big score. And a lot of the things that eventually became hallmarks of Bond films. You didn't have that same open where you do have that, you know, the the, the shutter closing open and mm-hmm. then the shooting of the gun and the whole deal. That came, you know, in the next films moving forward because they knew they had a franchise on their hands. They weren't 100% sure this was going to go with Sean Connery because Sean Connery was, it had been a bit actor in a number of films. They thought, okay, we're going to make this guy the leading man and we're going we're gonna to risk this franchise because they had gone out and bought mm. the Ian Fleming collection with the exception of Thunderball, which was a book that Ian Fleming had written, didn't actually sell into that particular deal. Okay. So that's why Sean Connery was able to go and make another movie after he left Bond, Never Say Never, which was... Uh, a, a a film that that he did, I don't know, 20 years or whatever after he had done his last Bond film with Cubby Broccoli. That was done because it was almost like a, an FU back to them <laughs> to say, you know, I'll do it again. And they, he knew that they had that script and they could actually do it. And then you had uh, George Lazenby did On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Correct. And for a long time, that was sort of like people would make jokes, and I'd be like, have you actually seen the film, right? Right. It was the redheaded stepchild, and there's nothing against redheads or stepchildren, but it was the one film that was a standalone film that didn't get the respect it should have gotten. Mm. If you go back and you watch that film today, it is one of the most beautifully shot films. Mm. It is... uh, God, I, I quite honestly think Telly Savalas 
is the Bond villain in that. Oh, wow. And yeah. I think it's one of the best Bond villains ever. And his portrayal of it, and it's, it's one of those things. It's like you got to go back if you're a Bond fanatic, or you're just you like Bond films in general, and you like the newer ones, not the older ones. Go back and watch that one because it's interesting. The, the costumes are ridiculous, <laughs> and there's a couple of winks and nods to the original Connery films, which are awkward and they probably shouldn't have done. But the Connery films were so huge, and that's the reason Sean they Connery were huge, yeah. quit. The franchise because he couldn't live. He was <laughs> he was shooting in Japan for the last, or that turned out to be the second to last Bond film that he shot, and he literally had a, a paparazzi paparazzo jump over a stall, a bathroom stall, and take a picture of him taking a dump. And he was like, "That's it. I'm he done." He wasn't going number 007, but he was going number 002. <laughs> yes, he was. And God, it was such just, yeah. a. It was. It, I mean, he could. He could not walk the streets of Tokyo, and it, it, without a huge security and all that, it gotten too big for him, and he hated it. But then, uh, Lazenby did the film. It mm. wasn't as much of a. Uh, of a financial success. A little bit of a critical darling. Eventually, right? Not, I don't exactly. think initially. Yeah, yeah. But. They needed him back because they didn't have the replacement lined up at that point. I think they knew it was going to be Roger Moore, but they just couldn't get him yet. He had commitments to the Saint and some other things he was doing. So they said, all right, fine, we'll bring you back. And they had to pay Sean Connery the princely sum of $1 million. $1 million. Amazing. In the early 1970s to come in and actually do that film. And he did. And I actually love Diamonds Are Forever. That was a film he did. I thought that was a uh, uh, such a fun romp and ride mm. and you know it's it's very cheeky and it's very uh sort of winking at the camera but it it you know it, it kind of goes down in a lot of ways because it shows i'll tell you you who love las vegas it shows las vegas before las vegas was las I vegas go back and watch oh yeah. my god i love a, those films that are set just in that era before you know the, right. the next renaissance yeah the strip is nothing but sand I mean, it's, wow. it's plotted out pieces of sand, Incredible. and you watch that movie. I mean, there's a there's a scene where you're in the desert of Las Vegas, and it's about a quarter mile away from where the old original strip was, and it also has one of the great uh, car chase scenes. You know, and that's that's one of the things because car chase movies had become so popular, and yeah. so the the Bond films had to start doing it. They weren't really about car chases before. Diamonds are forever, and then like all the Roger Moore ones had these crazy ass car yeah, I mean, scenes. In all it. of a sudden, we were in outer space, and you know you had then you know you had Roger Moore, who you know just was kind of souffle light, and it was going to do that type of a bond with Pierce Brosnan. They tried to get a little grittier in some of the films. Timothy Dalton had uh, a one off right as Bond, but for me, Ro, what you know when I talk about Daniel Craig, you know Sean Connery was perfect for the times. I think you know he really carried, it. as you said. I think it helped a lot that he was not a, a huge name before he did this. So, you know, people could really believe him as Bond. Right. Now, Daniel Craig is 52, I want to say. He's in his early 50s. So he was actually about 35 when he took over the Bond role and wow. had done a lot of great roles, but was not a huge star either. No. And that's another reason I think we believe him. And, I, you know, the thing about Sean Connery was perfect. And those early Bond films, I didn't see him in the theater. I saw him on Saturday or Sunday nights. Right. And we talk about the running time. Well, with commercials, they were four hours. But <laughs> but for a lot of people, in the you know, kids in the 60s and 70s and all the way up really to the 80s watching those on television, this is this amazing, fantastical world, and we believed it with Sean Connery as James Bond. Daniel Craig as James Bond 
we still get these, you know, cra- you know, crazy death-defying stunts and, you know, the world could explode, but he looks like he's of this world. Daniel Craig's Bond is a as a cat who really feels things. He bleeds when he's cut, he bruises when he's beat up. Yeah. He grieves when he suffers loss. Yeah, he'll still have a quick comment or a joke, but he's not doing it all through these fights and stuff because he's fighting for his friggin' life. Right. So he feels very much of his time. And that's why I thought Craig was a great James Bond. And we've heard a lot of names being bandied about uh, Idris Elba, Henry Golding, Tom Hardy, Henry Cavill. In all cases there that I just mentioned, Ro, these are guys that have really established themselves and have been in major franchises and big movies. I don't think any of them are the right casting choices. I think that, you know, Idris Elba, I think, would have been great. He's actually about, he's just a year or two younger than Daniel Craig. I think they need a 33-year-old James Bond. Yeah. Because if you have Idris Elba, you're going to carry it, and he does it for the next 20 years, Bond's going to be 70. I think Barbara Broccoli gets it. She's, you know, now the person who's behind all of this and Mm -hmm. owns the entire franchise. There will be an unknown Bond because they need to build, or, you know, a slightly known Bond. Yeah, I, of all the people that have been mentioned, I, I got to say that I think the most interesting is Tom Hardy because Tom Hardy is unrecognizable from role to role to That's role true. that he does. That's true. So that would be it. But again, Tom Hardy may be a little too old right now well, to do this Well, he's got Venom going and so many other things. Uh, and, I, and to your point, if you bring in an unknown who's got some solid credentials, who's in their 30s to play Bond, all of the supporting characters we referred to in No Time to Die can come back. You can still have Q and Money Penny mm-hmm. and M. And I mentioned. Uh, and they did that in yeah, the original. Yeah, and yeah. just have them still be a part of the adventure. Lashana Lynch as 007 and Ana de Armas' character, Paloma, who I keep mentioning because she's so great. She's only in the film for 10 minutes. And you get the feeling it's like what they do at the Marvel movies where you get just a little hint of a character who's then going to you know, come front and center. So mm-hmm. I would like to see that. And that way, you've got this great supporting cast around the new rookie. The Bond franchise is over 50 years old, mm. right? I mean, it is Almost approaching 16, yeah. 60 years old yep. right now. So at some point when the Bond franchise is 65, I think it is time to retire the convention. Not the Bond franchise, because I think Bond is a character... You know, like uh, like many that have been written. You know, you, you know, you, you mentioned the Shakespearean characters that keep coming back. Yeah. Well, it, they, they that's hundreds of years. Hmm. Bond will be back. But you know what I would do if I were Barbara Broccoli, and I'm glad she asked me uh, this. <laughs> uh, that uh, in case in case she forgot she asked me, she should tune into this podcast, and and I will tell her this. <laughs> they should go back and do an origin story of Bond. You should go back and do the story of him as an orphan taken in and basically and trained as a Batman child. Type yeah, of thing. yeah. Uh, way, which is from from the books. It really it's hasn't been idea, done, actually. except in a TV series um, that doesn't really mention Bond, but it was actually Sean Connery's son mm. who did it. Jason Connery uh, was the character in this that sort of set this up a little bit, and that's oh my god, that's got to be thirty years ago already as well. So there is an opportunity for them to upon reboot to reboot with a really younger guy and show how this guy comes up into it and you can almost do it you could either do it in present day or you could do it in time in the 50s yeah yeah i like it i like i like i love the idea and i like the idea of it in present day and the final scene is he's leaving the navy or he's you know whatever the origin story is and the last scene is him walking through the doors and starting his first day yeah 
as 007. And then you've and then now you've got a mm-hmm. good quarter century arc with an actor yeah, yeah. that we you know you could create something with. I and love it. I, I just think it, there's a lot of really really cool ways to go. It's a, it 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 just has so many uh, pieces to it too. And I know we didn't get too much into this and this and we will as as we move forward at the end of the year as we do Christmas because uh it's going to be a very bond Christmas in a lot of ways. They mm-hmm. like to put these products out that celebrate, I know you're going to find it's hard to believe, alcohol mm. and uh, the good life yeah. are all associated with Bond. Whether Cigars it's and whiskey and cars, cars and everything. And yes. And diamonds. So there, you're going to see some of that stuff you know, continue to get marketed through this mm. period of the release of the film. That was all planned for last year when it was supposed to right. be released. Yeah. So now for this year, some of those contracts are going to continue. And you're going to see some tie-ins to it, as you've already started to see. It's, you know, the, I mean, the whole thing, the pandemic's been a bummer economically on, you know, every level here. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the, the great human loss, I don't want to minimize that in any way. But just as, as the, you know, business goes, the entertainment business is gone. So many things have gotten pushed off. And, and it takes years to build these kinds of campaigns, these films and the campaigns. And now, now uh, you're going to see it sort of come out at you backwards here mm-hmm. throughout the rest of the year. But moving forward, they have an opportunity to do something really great. So let's just let's just hope for it. I'm a huge fan. You can't really go wrong. There should be an all-Bond channel because <laughs> I will watch those movies over and over and over again uh, just to go to sleep to. Comfort viewing. Yes. A lot of people watch The Office or Friends or, you know, someone else to go to bed at night. Not me, pal. <laughs> It is. Uh, it will be my uh, uh, my time to die, at least for the night, and then wake up the next morning. The Royal Roper Podcast is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. AmericanEagle.com is a full-service global digital agency providing best-in-class web design, development, hosting, digital marketing services, and so much more. Visit AmericanEagle.com for more information. Special thanks to our executive producers, Tim Melanius, Renee Nelson, and special thanks to our production director, Demita Menezes. See you next time.